It demands that we tell sinners the whole truth. We will not go quietly into the night. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Cornerstone Broadcast. Now again, we are going over a, uh, or this is a recording, uh, re-recording, I'm not exactly sure what that pronunciation is, what the proper term is here. We are archiving our series on Revelations right now. Uh, we're getting into the fourth out of seven churches. Uh, after this series, we'll be beginning a little study, a little intro on um, explanation, a little bit more on Genesis. Um, I just got done reading that, uh, well, probably as of now, a couple weeks ago with a friend of mine. Really awesome stuff. Um, and there's a lot of scientific stuff in there. So we want to go over that next. Uh, but right now, you know, we're kind of building up to that. We're talking about these churches here. Um, these seven churches, these are still relevant today. I mean, they take place in uh, the book of Revelation. This is written in approximately, you know, if I remember right, about 70 AD, roughly. And, um, you know, this is, uh, these are letters. Uh, John is writing uh, to the church. John, you know, one of the apostles of Christ. He's exiled on the uh, island of Padmos. And uh, he's writing these letters to these churches. Now, the interesting part about this, this message is delivered by Jesus Christ to John the apostle to write down his brother John. He's, John is the one writing them. He's the one acting as a secretary. And then he's delivering them to these churches. Each one of these starts off with, to the angel of the church, write this. And the angel themselves, in this, uh, as we shared already, the angel specifically is not a celestial being. The angel is referring to Angelos, the, the messenger. In other words, the pastor or the minister in charge of leading the flock. This is a letter, you know, written to him, or uh, and it's not to be limited to him. This is actually something for the entire congregation. This is something they were very well known for. You write one letter to a church, and the entire church will hear it. So it's very important to recognize that that's how these messages are being delivered. And interestingly enough, I think we also need to recognize anytime we do a study over the Church of Revelation. Uh, over the churches um, and what's interesting when I first pulled this together I was listening to a series by um, a well-known evangelist one I've mentioned before um, there was another one I think is Francis Chan which was doing a series um, and then um, not only that but uh, the there was uh, I could be wrong on this it's some time ago uh, a church in which I uh, abandoned um, they uh, they decided to you know do something as well i think i could be wrong on that but i think it's kind of concerning and i think anytime we go over the churches in revelations we need to recognize they are active today um we also need to recognize that these one of these seven churches could possibly be us um you know in the in the uh, church to ephesus they were guilty of losing their lost love of the lord the love that they had at first they strayed away from the passion and the obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were so focused on what the scriptures said uh, that that was their focus. So he commends them for that, but there's a little bit more that he recognized. says, you need to repent of this. Smyrna itself was faithful and dealt with much hardship, was suffering. Pergamum compromised the church and allowed idol worship and sexual immorality 
uh, to take place, and also the teachings of the Nicolaitans, as we found out with Ephesus, the Nicolaitans were a religious group of believers which followed the teachings of, um, if, I, if, I, if, if his name is properly pronounced, um, the teachings of, uh, well, you have the uh, Balaam schemes and the teachings of uh, Nicolai, I don't even know, Nicholas is perhaps his name, is in the Acts. Let's see if we have something here. Uh, I don't know. Offhand, I'll have to get that uh, the proper name because Nicolaitans, Nicole can be a bunch of different things here. So specifically, I want to get that out for you guys. Um, but this is also, you know, one man's teachings. He left the church and was still living false doctrine, uh, and even so within the church. So we have him also mentioned um, in Pergamum that they were, they were following the Nicolaitans, and then likewise we have false teachings in Thyatira. Now, Thyatira is guilty of, you know, similar acts. They're tolerating, you know, Pergamum compromised the church, and Thyatira is tolerating, is tolerating these acts. So, we need to, I think it's really important that we recognize this, because there's a past church that was at, these doctrines that were being taught, or some of these things that were being taught by this pastor were very concerning, you know, creation um, claims, uh, debates, um, with specifically with non-believers, it doesn't matter what you believe, you know, a bunch of other things um, I found to be very concerning to me, uh, and I had, you know, it had to be addressed. And I think it's important that we recognize this, even in our own individual self, is analyzing, is there a part in my life where I may have lost the love I've had at first? Is there a point in my life where I've compromised my, not necessarily church, but my faith, and allowed idol worship and sexually immoral acts? Or have I been guilty in such? Is there a point in my life with Thyatira that I've been guilty of tolerating sin? Or, you know, even, I think this one specifically, you know, in Bible studies and, you know, in, in a church uh, church teachings. So this is what we're going to get into. Um, you know, these things do need to be addressed because there's uh, at least three in which, or three churches out of these four that we've went over so far in which these false teachings or false teachers are named. Um, they specifically aren't named. You have the Nicolaitans, which are named. Um, and then in, in this one here, we have uh, the teachings of Balaam, which I believe was in, uh, yes, it was in uh, Pergamum. And then likewise here in Thyatira, a person with the character of Jezebel is involved in the church. And they obviously will know who this Jezebel character is. So getting into this, I want you to crack open your Bibles. We actually have a fun announcement I'm going to be sharing after this recording. Uh, it's not going to be a part of this recording, but it's going to be um, after this recording. Um, we're, going to up, we're going to upload this video feed. For those of you who are listening into the audio, you'll have to check out our Facebook page for more details on this announcement. Um, but uh, after we get done recording this, we're going to get this all set up, and then we're going to quickly do a, a live recording to share some really exciting announcements here. So getting into this, again, you know, grab a pen, grab a paper, grab whatever you need to, and we'll go ahead and uh, get this party started. Now getting into this, the background here at Thyatira was, it was a small town, is about 35 miles uh, southeast, uh, southeast of Pergamum. And if you're visual in this, you know, you got to go down and then to the right on a map. Uh, it was southeast of Pergamum, about 35 miles, and was founded by a general... Uh, General, I'm not even going to pronounce this properly, Seleucid uh, Nicator, I believe, uh, under Alexander the Great in about 300 BC. 
Military garrisons greatly strengthened the city, which was noted for commerce. Uh, guilds such as tanners, coppersmiths, potters, and purple dyers. Now, it's important to recognize, before I finish off this background here, purple itself was a very valuable color. Um, specifically, how it, uh, I, if I remember right, it had something to do with the, the resources collected uh, for the color purple were, uh, if I remember right, native to some mountains or some region that was hard to get to. So it was, it was essentially a, a color in which only royalty could afford. Uh, and objects of worship of uh, Thyatira included, or I'm sorry, of, uh, yeah, of Thyatira included uh, the emperor, as we've already discussed. The emperor himself was God. The Thyatiran war hero, uh, Ty Tyraminos, if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, and the guild tr uh, trade guild gods, other false gods. For example, bronzesmiths worshipped the goddess of war. Yeah, it makes sense. We got to make some uh, tools for them. Uh, Pallas Athena, which was that god, and how the church was established specifically is unknown, but it's it's been theorized. Lydia, as we find in Acts 16, uh, which was a seller of purple dye, so she had to have some, you know, a nice little wealthy chunk of change in her pocket. Uh, she was a seller of purple uh, in, in the city of Thyatira and came to the Lord under Paul's ministry in Philippi, Acts 16, verse 14 through 15. So it's possible that this is kind of how the church got established. Maybe she ministered to the people in Thyatira and she said, hey, let's build a church. So that's a little bit of the background. Now, if you want to get into this, we'll go ahead and read this passage here and then uh, we'll go ahead and break it down here in uh, the church of Thyatira. Now, as I've already pointed out, when it says the angel of the church, this is talking about the pastor or, the, or the, the, the leader, the elder of the church. To the angel of the church uh, in Thyatira, the words, uh, write, the, or write this, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like a burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and your service and patience, and that your latter works exceed the first in other words your later works or the works you're doing now or the last works you did have exceeded the first in other words you've improved but i have this against you that you tolerate the woman jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat foods sacrificed to idols i gave her time to repent but she refuses to repent and of her Sexual, she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. And behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of their works. And I will strike her children dead. All the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and the heart, and I will give each according to your works." But to the rest of you in Thyatira, do not hold to, who do not hold to this teachings, who have not learned that some call the deep things of Satan, to, to you I say, do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to, until I come. And, what, and only hold fast to what, uh, I'm sorry, what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my words until the end to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when the earth as when the earthen pots are broken in pieces, 
even as I myself have recognized authority over the Father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Now, it's kind of interesting. I mean, all of this is interesting. If you if you know me well enough, if you've talked to me, you'll know that I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for theology. I don't have everything down. I'm not a professional at this. I don't, I'm not a scholar. But what I do know, I love. It's beautiful. And when I am, you know, learning, it's awesome. It's even more, um, which we'll, we'll get into more of that because I'm kind of getting excited about some recent uh, understanding here. But um, one of the things we got to get into here, you know, while Jesus says that I know your works or I know your deeds, your love and faith and service and your patient endurance. So he's giving them a commendation and says, hey, you guys are doing great here. You know, you've got the love, you've got the faith, your service and your patience, your patient endurance. And, and even so, even so, you guys, you know, you have, your works now have exceeded what they started off to be. You guys have improved so much. But before I get into that, the Son of God who has the flaming, or the flame of fire, who has, uh, whose, the, whose feet are like the burnished bronze. I actually want to read that commentary. That comes from verse, uh, or chapter 1 here, uh, if I can find it here. I lost the spot. Okay, feet like burnished bronze, the, the eyes and flames of fire, uh, like to the commentary here, says these two are like two lasers, and I think that would be the modern term to, to identify. Two lasers, the eyes of the exalted Lord, will look and penetrate gaze into the depths of his church. The, burnish, the feet of burnished bronze, the altar of burnt offering, was covered with brass, and its utensils were made of the same material, brass. Glowing hot, brass feet are a clear reference to the divine judgment. Jesus Christ, with feet of judgment, is moving through the church to exercise his chastening authority upon sin. So this is kind of important to recognize. Christ himself is moving through. He's bringing a judgment. It's not the final judgment, but he's bringing a judgment on the church. And he's bringing it through his beloved disciple, his, his apostle, John. John writes these letters. He delivers them to the church. And he says, this is the judgment that's come on you. Now you need to repent. Otherwise, there will be a worse fate to come. But Christ says, I know your works, I know your love, I know your patience, your patient endurance, and your latter works exceed your first. You guys have improved greatly. But here's the, my concern. My concern is that you're tolerating the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants. Now I want to stop right there. Who is Jezebel? Jezebel herself, you know, she was a, a woman in the Old Testament. She was a very, very wicked person. Now this article here, I pulled this up. I don't have, I'm not professional again, but here's what I have here. There are two incidents in the life of Jezebel, of uh, life of Jezebel that characterize her and may define what is meant by a quote unquote Jezebel spirit. One trait is her obsessive passion over domineering and controlling others, especially in the spiritual realm. And when she became queen, she began a relentless campaign to rid Israel of all evidence of Yahweh worship. She ordered the extermination of all the prophets of the Lord and replaced their altar with those of Baal. 
Her strongest enemy was Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. He was a man of God. Her strongest enemy was Elijah, who demanded a contest on Mount Carmel between the powers of Israel's God and the powers of Jezebel and the priest of Baal. You find this in 1 Kings 18. Of course, God won. That's kind of a given. That's well known. Uh, but despite hearing of the miraculous powers of the Lord, Jezebel refused to repent and swore to her gods that she would pursue Elijah relentlessly and take his life. Her stubborn refusal to see and submit to the power of the living God would lead to her hideous end. The second in incident involves a righteous man uh, named Noah, or I'm sorry, not Noah, Naboth, 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 N-A-B-O-T-H, who refused to sell to Ahab, uh, who refused to sell to Ahab land adjoining the palace rightly declaring that to sell his inheritance would be against the Lord's command. We find this in 1 Kings 21, as well as Leviticus chapter 25. While Ahab sulked and fumed in his bed, Jezebel taunted and ridiculed him for weakness, and then proceeded to have the incident, uh, the incident or the innocent Naboth framed and stoned to death. Naboth's sons were also stoned to death, and they, were, they would be no heirs, and the land would revert to the possession of the king. Such a single-minded determination to have one's way, no matter who is destroyed in the process, is a character of a Jezebel spirit. She was also, which I'm not going to read this other section here, but she was also guilty of sexual immorality and idolatry, idol worship. Um, and, you know, the Lord himself refers to the warning of this church here in Thyatira. So there's a lot of dangerous stuff. She was truly, truly a wicked person. And after this, you don't see anybody. Uh, I mean, it's a name I've heard myself, uh, you know, not too common, but I've heard it, uh, you know, thrown around by people being named Jezebel. But within the scriptures of the biblical text, you find only one, only one individual who is named Jezebel. And that's this Jezebel in which we're mentioning. Now, does this mean that there's another Jezebel here in Thyatira? No. The character, as we've already said, the character of Jezebel, her sexual immorality, her idolatry, um, you know, additional wickedness, you know, her, her, her means to concoct lies and to remove prophets from her path. These are characteristics of a Jezebel spirit. Now the term Jezebel spirit is not specifically mentioned in the scriptures, but as we see here, the characteristic is, which indicates that this, this person would have a Jezebel spirit. And this Jezebel, she calls herself a prophetess. Now keep in mind, it's not just limited to women. Um, she calls herself a prophetess, or in modern terms, she calls herself a preacher. She calls herself a pastor. Um, she calls herself a minister for the Lord. She calls herself this. It's not that she was coined this. She didn't go through the educational process and, and become a minister. She wasn't reborn by the Spirit and thus, you know, being considered a prophet. She, she put this title upon herself. And even so, we must also keep in mind that even though you've gone through the proper steps to successfully earn this role of a minister or a pastor or preacher... It is ultimately God who appoints the people to do his work. And just because, like here with Jezebel, 
just because you are a prophet, a preacher, a prophetess, a pastor, does not mean in the position of God that you truly are. And I think that's really important that we recognize. And furthermore, not only is she calling herself a prophetess, but she's also teaching. She's teaching and seducing my servants, the servants of Jesus Christ. She's seducing them. These people, she is in this church, and Thyatira, she's calling herself a prophetess, and she's also manipulating. She's manipulating the followers of Christ in his very church. She's seducing them with her beautiful talk, her beautiful clothes, her beautiful looks, her beautiful words. These words themselves are appealing, appealing to the people. They're enticing. But she seduces them to practice sexual immorality. She says, oh, what's it going to hurt? Nobody will know. Nobody will find out. If you truly love me, you'll do this for me. If you, you know, it, it, we're called to be one body. We're called to share the love of Christ. You, as an individual, are supposed to take care of my needs. Whatever other lies that you want to throw in there. She seduces the servants of God, the Christians. She manipulates them to practice sexual immoralities, to be unclean. To eat foods sacrificed to idols. And at this point in time, this was a means, a way to worship false gods. So it's not just uh, sacrifice, and if you want to bring this up to modern times, it's not just eating foods sacrificed to false idols. This is also false worship. Now, false worship is very important here. And you know what, let me go back over this. I just talked to somebody yesterday about this. Uh, or not yesterday, a few days ago. I, was, uh, I, read, I have a friend of mine in which we read uh, together. We've actually taken a class... Um, we've taken classes together, um, you know, we went through the New Testament, read that together, and finally we got through it, and um, we decided, it's like, okay, we're done with the book of Revelation, so how about, how about we start over? How about we just keep this going? Because, you know, such enjoyment, we're getting so much out of this. I was getting a lot out of this myself in our, in our daily readings, but I don't want to go over this too much. Uh, let me try to find this here. Uh, there's a section here. Um... Or go down to the people. <clears throat> These are the gods. I've got to find this. There's a specific piece in here in Exodus 20. Um, make us gods. Okay, These uh, starting in uh, verse 20, I'm sorry, verse 1 of Exodus 32 up. Uh, make us gods who shall go before us. These were the people of Egypt. Uh, I'm actually going to give you the cliff notes. Um, what's going on, it's in Exodus chapter 32. If you would like to look this up. Um, I was looking for a specific line in there, but I can't find it. But in this, um, these these people are uh... okay. Here we go. I'm sorry, we found it. Uh, in verse four here it says, and he received the gold. This is the, the, Aaron uh, has made this golden uh, calf for these people, and he's received the gold, fashioned it, engraved, and he made a golden calf. And here's how they respond. Keep in mind, 
this is while Moses is up in Mount Sinai. He's been up there for, you know, approximately 40 days. He hasn't been there too long. Um, and he's up there, you know, to get the tablets and meet with the Lord. This is not even, they haven't even reached two years. So this is probably within the first year, um, probably within the first couple months, I would presume. I don't have any dates specifically in front of me to calculate that. But this hasn't been long enough for these people to forget the God who brought them out of Egypt. There has been no, not really many deaths recorded. These are still the same people that saw the wrath of God, that saw the judgment on Egypt. And they fashion a cow. They come from a pagan culture. They've grown up in Egypt where they've had so many false gods uh, that, of, of worship. And these gods of Egypt were attributed to idols, statues, uh, frogs, um, you know, anything that you can think of, animals in that period or in Egypt. This is what these false gods were recognized as. And so they, they think that this is a way in which we need to worship. They've already experienced this. They've seen the plagues. They've seen the firstborn die. They've, they've, they've seen uh, everything happen. They've seen the waters split. There is no possible way with the evidence that was presented to them that they should stray away and worship false gods. So when this is going on, what's happening is they're wanting to attribute these false idol worships to the true God who sent them out. And here's what they say. These are the gods of Israel. Or these are the gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Again, they already know who, they, who it was that did this. But they're attributing a calf, a golden calf, to God. What is this? This is false worship. Not only is it false worship, but it's, it is false worship with the intention of with the intention of being true worship to Yahweh. I think that's very important for us to recognize because they're doing this. And, and, and Moses, he's up there in Mount Sinai, not really sure what's going on. And then you find out that the Lord himself is getting really ticked off. He's saying, you know, these guys, I, I made a cow. I brought you out of the land. I brought you out of a people who worship false gods. And now you attribute me to this false god. Not only that, but you attribute me to the image of a cow. The very cow that I've created for you. You made me less. You made me what I created. And that's offensive to God. And we see his wrath stirring in him because of that. And it's even hurtful. He wants a people that worship him for who he is. And they're saying that, well, this is God. And he's saying, that's not me. I didn't do that. That's not who I am. And likewise, we have similar aspects of this going on, not only in the church of Thyatira, but we have this going on in churches today. Again, we'll leave that for another study. She seduces the servants to practice sexual morality, to eat food sacrificed to idols. And Jesus says, I have given her time to repent. I've given her enough time. I've given her enough time, but she won't listen. Much like the Jezebel within the Old Testament. She, even the evidence was before her that her gods were inferior to the God of Israel. Israel. 
she still chose not to repent. And through this, we see that she swears to her gods. She remains in false worship. And she, she declares that Elisha will die. End to the Christian. Now, I want to ask you guys this. And uh, if you are listening in on the broadcast on uh, YouTube, uh, or I'm sorry, on Facebook, feel free to put a comment. This is actually a serious question here um, that I'm curious to ask. Uh, I need to get a pen here. And uh, this question here, I'm, I'm marking this down here because I want to put a poll up uh, or, or mark a question here. Um, my question here is, is there anything, is there anything within your church or even in your, your Christian life that you think could very well possibly be this false worship? I think one of the biggest ones, you know, one of the ones I've noticed in some churches is while it is important, and this is something a big concern I've, I've made known quite a bit, while it is known that God himself has an attribute of love, we also need to recognize that he's more than that. So what I find here is that in some cases we have um, idol worship going on, that love is our idol. Now, there's an article I was reading in a magazine I have, and this is a this is a section. This is a small piece of, excuse me, a small piece of this article. Really interesting. It's talking about love simply being one of the many attributes. Simply, you know, what I've shared before in the past. But here's this quote. This is the closing comments uh, to this article. The idea that God is love is certainly a truth to be shouted from the rooftops as well as to be treasured in our hearts. Absolutely true. But it is the same with all his attributes. That's implying that this, not only this is an attribute, but there's more than just love to God. One is more, uh, it is, uh, but it is the same with all his attributes. One is more beautiful than, than the other. One is not primary over the others. I'm sorry, one is not more beautiful than the other. One is not primary over the others. None is in tension with the others. In other words, they're not, they're not conflicting. They're not competing. They are all equal. They are all God. And all are essential. There is perfect harmony with the being of God with all of these attributes, with all his attributes belonging essentially and necessary or necessarily to his glory. This is by a man named Mark E. Ross. So the point of this is, and my concern is, when a, when a church focuses so much on the love of God, that is the idol of the church. That is the sin that needs to be recognized because there's more to God than just his love. And if I was to say anything, being that this would be an idol, I would say that this is a key attribute to Jezebel. Because you're focusing on this, on love, and, you know, many of us don't even know what love is. I think one of the most important things is, you know, there, yeah, I've shared it in the past, is there's like seven different variations in the Greek alone. There's seven different variations of love, seven different words. I believe there's probably about four, maybe five of those words are used in the scriptures. 
five different forms of love. So when we say God is love, English language says we have one word for love, and that word is love. But what kind of love is this supposed to be? What kind of love does this look like? This could be anything, and we'll get into that later. But my point is, in our individual selves, not only in our individual selves, but in our churches that we are a part of today, it is possible that we have turned something of God into an idol, or we've possibly turned you know some some classy phrase that has been uh, added to the faith in these modern Christian era, whatever it may be. Jesus says, "I have given her time to repent." You know that that time is done. But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. And behold, because of this, because she refuses to repent, I, Jesus, I will throw her into this sick bed. And those who commit adultery with her will be thrown into great tribulation. What this is essentially talking about is a sick bed, is having given this woman time to repent, God was to judge her upon a bed. Okay, you want to you wanna sleep in a bed? You want to bring many men or women or whatever it is that you're bringing in to your bed and you want to lay with them and perform these sexual immoral, immoral acts? I'll give you a bed. Not only will it be this bed, but it's going to be a bed in hell. And that's where you'll be, you will spend your eternity in this bed. God was uh, to judge her upon a bed, and since uh, since she uh, used a luxurious bed to commit her moral acts and reclining the couch of idols and feasts and eating things offered to false god, he was giving her a bed in hell where she would lie forever. In other words, you like that bed so much, I'll give you a bed. But it's not going to be in my kingdom. So he says, I will throw her into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her, in other words, those who are guilty of this as well, I will throw into great tribulations unless, here's the condition, unless they repent of her works. So Jezebel herself, she's had plenty of time to repent. She is being judged. She is being judged right now. So are her followers. But the difference here is this is her judgment. This is what will happen. Now, Christ himself is saying that unless they repent of her works, they reply or implying or suggesting those who follow her teachings, these people need to repent of her works. Who is this her? Jezebel. Stop listening to her. Stop following her. Turn away from this wickedness. Turn away from this false worship. And, and recognize that you have a golden calf that you are worshiping, and it is not me. And I will strike her dead. And all the churches know that I am he. All the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and the heart. There's a quote here I want to give. I kind of went off topic of my notes here, but I want to kind of give some of this here. Uh, this whole entire thing is a quote from uh, Billy Graham, and I think this is uh, very important to recognize. Uh, we have become tolerant. Keep in mind, Thyatira, this is a church of tolerance. We have become tolerant of divorce, the use of alcohol, delinquency, wickedness in high places, immorality, crime, and godlessness. 
we have been snapped of convictions, or we have been sapped, I'm sorry, we have been snapped of convictions, drained of our belief, and we are bereft of our faith. The science, however, are narrow-minded. The sciences are narrow-minded. There is no room for careless broad-mindedness in the laboratory. Water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit at sea level. It is never 100 degrees, it is never 189 degrees, nor is it 100 or 211. It is 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Fresh water freezes at 32 degrees, it is never 23, and it is never 31. Mathematics is also narrow-minded. The sum of the surplus of 2 is 4, or the sum, uh, the sum of 2 plus 2 is 4, never 3 and a half, Geometry is narrow-minded, and it says that a straight line is the shortest distance between two points on a plane. A compass is narrow-minded. It always points to the magnetic north. If it were broad-minded, ships at sea and planes in the air would be in danger. And if you ask a man the directions from New York or to New York City, and he says, oh, just take any, any way that you wish. All, leads, all roads lead to New York. You would question his sanity for his truthfulness. Nevertheless, we've somehow gotten into our minds that all roads lead to heaven. That's a quote by Billy Graham. Can we be tolerant? Can we be tolerant of other beliefs, even though they are an error? Even though they can lead people astray? Even though you're trying to head to New York you know, in five or ten minutes or a couple hours... But the reality is you take a different path and it's going to take you five days or a week or uh, a year. But you'll get there eventually. Like we have here, like I shared with Exodus 32, these people created a golden calf because they attributed it to God that led them out of Egypt. Knowing full well who truly did lead them out of Egypt. Now, people claim that the church is narrow-minded, that the Christian faith is narrow-minded, but the reality is, so is everything else. So is everything else. We've already said, you know, what the boiling point of water, the freezing point of water, mathematics, um, geometry, the distance between two points. There's a lot of other things that are narrow-minded. Can we afford to have false teachings within the church? It depends on what it is. You know, one of the, one of the big points I can say: circumcision or not. Um, and I'm actually doing a study on this right now. I, I think circumcision itself, you know, can. You know, and, and keep in mind, this is referring to in the biblical text. This is referring to the the circumcision being a sign of your covenant with the Lord. When that is the case, if that is the issue, if that is why it's happening, then no. You cannot do it. You should not do it because ultimately you're saying the work on the cross no, it, uh, is irrelevant. It didn't happen. It doesn't matter. We're still under the old covenant. Now, there's a lot more we can get into that. But there are certain practices, for example, the kinds of foods you eat um, that don't matter. Eat it. If you want to have a piece of bacon, have a piece of bacon. In fact, I'm in America. You know, it's ungodly not to eat bacon. Um so, I mean, there's, there's things that we need to recognize, but at the same time, when it comes to other theological issues, uh, I mean, there's secondary issues, triary, tri, tri third, you know, third, uh, third degree issues, but um, 
I think those deserve attention as well, uh, depending on what it is, obviously. But we need to be careful with what we recognize, what we believe. Because if we allow these things to happen, they can ultimately lead us astray. If we say that the, certain things don't matter, for example, like this, the heretical teachings of a, of a, uh, of a pastor, I, I I'm very desperately would like to get a hold of, I've tried, uh, and the man doesn't want to listen. The man doesn't want to hear it, but, you know, one of the claims, he says that it doesn't matter what you believe. I've shared this a lot, and it's very concerning to me because it does matter. It matters if you believe that, you know, any road leads to New York. It matters if you, if you believe that any road leads to heaven. As long as you focus on Jesus Christ, as long as you believe in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to believe what you want. That's dangerous teachings right there. Very dangerous. That's really all the commentary I have uh, for today. Um, uh, I, I really hope you guys got something out of this. I hope you guys, uh, you know, recognize you know some of these things here. There's more that we have here on this text. Uh, we only got through about verse uh, verse 24. Uh, but keep in mind, you know, when it comes to tolerance within the church, we have to recognize what it is. For example, speaking in tongues that doesn't happen anymore. Um, Certain passages, uh, there's one, there's, you know, this is kind of going on in, in the church that I'm at right now. A gentleman says speaking in tongues is still relevant, and he prays privately. He prays privately in tongues, from what I've heard. That is not true. That's not a gift. Gifts are used to edify the church, not only to edify the church, but they're be, to be used for others. They're not to be selfish. There's no private prayer of tongues. It's, it, it ceases to exist. Furthermore, there's also the claim that uh, Matthew 16, uh, I want to say 9 through 20 is relevant, which we'll get into later. I actually shared an article, I think, on my personal page, um, but you can check it out. Matthew 16, uh, you know, are these relevant? Um, they're not. So and there's a lot more that we can throw in there, but I don't want to get too far into that before we kind of get off course here. Uh, that's really all I have for you guys today. Um, I hope you guys did enjoy this. I hope you got some out of it. Um, I hope you got a lot of uh, notes written down, perhaps. Um, and if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you know, feel free to get a hold of us. You can contact us on the website above, christiancornerstone.org. Contact us via Facebook Messenger as well. Um, or you know any other means that you know of getting a hold of us, please note that get, that the, the best ways to get a hold of us is the Facebook Messenger or contacting us on our website. You might actually get a better response by contacting us on our website. So I want to make that known. And any questions, comments, concerns, let us know. Um, without further ado, you guys have yourself a very wonderful weekend. And uh, before we let you get off the hook here, Sardis, the Church of Sardis, this is going to be the next church in which we go over with um, next week. So you guys have yourself a very wonderful week. And God bless.